Blog Talk Radio. Sixers Report with your host, Jeff McMiniman and Michael Kasky Blomain. Hello, welcome back for another edition of the 76ers Report. Jeff here alongside Mike, and uh, we're bringing you a special NBA draft preview edition of the show. Uh, what better way to do that than with an NBA draft expert and scout, Ed Isaacson of NBC Sports? Uh, he also Phones the website, nbadraftblog.com. Uh, he'll be on here in just a few moments. Uh, we're now on iTunes, so make sure to check us out and rate us on there. And as always, you can uh, follow our show on the app Stitcher for all those Android listeners out there. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at 76ers Report. And uh, before we get into the draft, uh, we had a couple changes in the Sixers front office this week. Uh, the Sixers have hired... Mark Eversley as Vice President of Player Personnel, and uh, Ned Cohen as Associate Vice President and Chief of Staff, while uh, Brian Williams has been promoted to Vice President of Basketball Administration. Uh, Mike, what did you think about the front office hirings, especially of Cohen, who is seemingly you know so well regarded that people think he could replace Adam Silver as M- NBA Commissioner one day? Um, you know, what do you think of all those hirings? Yeah, you know what, Jeff? I would be lying to you if I said I knew too much about either of those guys, uh, you know, prior to the news coming out yesterday about them joining the Sixers front office. Um, You know, Cohen was a guy that it was pretty funny after it was announced uh, initially that he signed yesterday. I think you and a bunch of other people were kind of joking that it was impossible to find really any information or pictures of him on the Internet, uh, you know, for a guy (laughs) that had is so well regarded. It's kind of, you know, strange that there's so little, uh, you know, readily available information about him. But I mean, the way I look at it is, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, basketball minds that I respect, uh, you know, writers, media members, Zach Lowe, uh, Mark Stein, guys from ESPN, uh, you know, like you said, have nothing but, you know, positive things to say about, uh, you know, Cohen, especially who, you know, as you alluded to, is, you know, very highly regarded in the, uh, the NBA office itself. So, you know, with with that being considered, it certainly seems like a, you know, a, a good move um, for Colangelo to make to, you know, surround himself and the organization with, you know, guys that have experience and are just really well regarded and know what they're doing. Um, you know, in, in the league's landscape at large, it certainly can't hurt, I don't think, to bring in a guy, uh, you know, of that magnitude that's, that's that well regarded by so many people and is that uh, – you know, kind of high standing within the eyes of the NBA that he could, you know, be technically third in line behind Adam Silver. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see exactly how the roles of, you know, uh, both of the, the additions, 
you know, really break down inside the front office. But, uh, you know, my first reaction, other than not, you know, obviously trying to do some research on the, on the two guys was, uh, you know, I was, I was guess I was just pleasantly happy that, uh, you know, Colangelo was making moves to surround the Sixers front office with, uh, you know, some of the best basketball minds that are, I guess, available. Yeah, and Eversley, of course, you know, worked closely with Brian Colangelo in Toronto, so it's no surprise that, you know, he kind of brought back one of his buddies here. Uh, his role will be to manage all aspects of the Sixers scouting department as well as roster management and talent evaluation. Um, you know, he found success with the Wizards the past two seasons, uh, leading them, you know, to the Eastern Conference semis. Um, but uh, from what I found out on Cohen, uh, one thing that kind of stuck out to me was him working on a committee for the NBA that created kind of confidential projection evaluations of, you know, potential draftees and their likely uh, draft position. And, you know, it's always good to have a couple of draft evaluators on the team here to uh, kind of give their input, you know, for as much as I respected Sam Hinkie uh, for what he did here. It seemed like draft night was always kind of a unilateral decision. Uh, so it's good that, uh, you know, the team will have a few eyes and ears in on the draft process this year, uh, you know, as opposed to the past years. But with this in mind, I'll introduce Ed Isaacson. Uh, I'll start with just asking your overall opinion on the Sixers' rebuild up to this point. Have you, you know, ever seen a general manager gain as many draft picks in such a short period of time like Sam Hinkie was able to do in his three seasons with the team. No, and that part of what he was trying to do is probably the one part that I did understand. You know, I I understand the value of the second-round picks. I know a lot of people, especially over the last couple of years, have tried to consider them as sort of throwaways. But I understood that if you want to build a roster, event, you know, three, four years down the line, you have to find the talent somewhere. Um, and, you know, you're not always going to get the free agents, but you're always going to have a chance in the draft. And by maximizing the amount of chances you have in each draft, uh, the chances go up that you hit on one of those guys. So that part of it, I really understood. Uh, his mm-hmm. management of talent, that, that was the one part I never really got about Sam Hankey, and I'm sure that's probably the part that um, you know ended with him, you know him and the Sixers separating. Yeah, of course. I, I mean, I, I think everyone kind of questioned some of his decisions. You know, trade away Michael Carter Williams. That was a big one. Trade away KJ McDaniel's. You know, a lot of people gave him a, you know a little guff for that just considering, you know, the the amount of money that he would have to pay for KJ wasn't that high, but yet, you know, he traded him away, uh, you know, young prospects for, you know, another draft pick for Isaiah Cannon. It just seemed like, you know, when they actually did have these players that they were developing, they would trade away for draft picks. Um, So, you know, I I think a lot of people kind of would, you know, get upset about that. but, I mean, you know, you, you've you overseen the draft process for a long time. Did the Sixers process, you know, kind of take the idea of tanking too far, in your opinion? Or, you know, were you fine with what transpired compared to, you know, the national narrative of the team? Yeah, I, I mean, I understand what they were doing, uh, you know, from, from, a, from purely from a draft point of view. I have no problem with it. Um, the mm-hmm. ones who I feel bad for in that process 
is Philadelphia fans because how do you actually deal with that? Uh, you know, there's, there's one part of it is about creating the team, uh, but the other part of it is making sure people show up. And, you know, somehow the team still has to make money and all the business side part of it. So from a roster, you know, from a roster construction point of view, yeah, I get it. Um, <laughs> but but if you want to keep a team thriving and, you know, have fans when four or five years down the road, you actually have that team, uh, then, no, it probably wasn't the right way to go about it. And, I mean, obviously, you know, you, you can uh, criticize Sam for kind of the way he did things and dragging the fans along. You know, uh, people always point to the 2014 draft where they, you know, took a beat who couldn't play. Uh, Sarge, who, you know, might come over this summer, uh, but, you know, he hasn't been able to play for the past two seasons. Um, but, you know, whether you like it or not, the Sixers are – you know, set up very well. They have the best chance of getting the number one pick in the NBA draft lottery now, uh, just under two weeks away at nearly 27%. They have a 44% chance of that Lakers pick um, coming over, which they acquired in in the Carter-Williams trade. And, uh, you know, they own the numbers 24 and 26 pick in the draft that they acquired in in both the Thaddeus Young and JaVale McGee trades last season. Uh, you know, Mike and I have already kind of talked in length about that first pick, uh, but obviously you've given more of an evaluation uh, to both Ben Simmons and Brandon Ingram than we have over the past couple of years. Uh, if the Sixers are on the clock at number one, Ed, do you feel like they should, you know, do you have an idea of who they should, should select between the two? Yeah, uh, and this is going to be one of the few times where I think need or fit better option than best player available. Um, the Sixers are one of the teams where, you know, if I was to rank the two guys one, two, Simmons is better to me than a better prospect than Ingram. But mm-hmm. looking at, looking at what where the Sixers are right now um, and the chances of them actually you know, being able to fix some of their roster problems before the draft. Um, you know, I think Ingram is probably the guy, looking at the team as it is now, I would think he would probably be the best fit. And we're not talking about a huge discrepancy between uh, Simmons' talent and Ingram's talent. Uh, so I think they'll be okay. You know, Brandon Ingram, if the Sixers get that pick, I think he should be the one just getting that that long athletic wing who can knock down shots and, you know, that, that getting him may actually help them start to clear up, you know, the whole Okafor MB Noel situation and uh, could take a little pressure off having to get another point, you know, get a point guard. So I, I think that's going to be, a, would be a good fit for them. Yeah. I mean, I think we're both in agreement, uh, Mike and I, that, Ingram probably would be the best fit. I mean, we, we've talked in length about kind of the the front court situation in Philadelphia uh, between, you know, Embiid, Okafor, Noel, all kind of uh, coexisting next season. You know, we've talked about, you know, the possibility of, of Okafor being traded this summer. We feel like 
you know, his value is kind of at its highest at this point. Um, I mean, I'd be interested to to hear what you think just on, on that front court situation. And, you know, if, if the Sixers were to uh, get rid of one of them, do you feel like that would be Okafor? I hope for Okafor's sake it is. I, I mean, I'm a big fan of Julio Okafor. And, yeah. <laughs> but I think with the way the last couple of years have gone for the Sixers, um, I think it would just so, sort of be devastating to the fan base if Embiid ended up being the one to go uh, after everything that the, you know, they've been through with him. And if mm. the guy's finally ready to play, to have him not there, <laughs> yeah. um, I think would just be a, a major blow to uh, to the fan base, to, to everyone who was, who was part of getting to that point. Um, Okafor was a great piece. Um, and, but, I don't, you know, we saw the dynamic with him and Noel last year. Um, you know, I, mean, I guess to put it the easy way, if there's one to keep, it, I think it's Noel. Um, I just think his defensive presence is uh, too much to uh, to easily give away without at least of getting course, yeah. something back uh, that's also that defensive presence. Um you know, but I think you got to roll the dice on Embiid at this point, and if you can get something, you know, if you can get what you're looking for for an Okafor, then I think you have to pull the trigger on it. Yeah, I mean, you got to kind of study Embiid closer than Mike and I in, in college while he was at Kansas. Uh, you know, what what can you say just about his presence on the court, and if he's healthy, you know, what kind of impact can he have? See, I'm, and I wasn't as big on him as a lot of people at that time. You know, he did some he did some really good things at Kansas before you know before he got hurt, but he was still so raw in so many ways. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, people love you know the one thing that always stuck with me is people love to have all you know to pull up that one dream shake <laughs> clip that he, <laughs> you know, that he did in a college game. Uh, but he never did anything else like that the rest of the season. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he sort of made his mark by just being bigger than everyone <laughs> in, at the college mm-hmm. level. Um, so, you know, and that's the other part that's going to be a little tough, I think, for people to swallow at first is not having played two years. We weren't talking about anyone who was near a finished product to begin with. Um mm-hmm. So now he's he's two years behind schedule, even with whatever practice he was able to get when healthy. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, you know, I think the first year for him is going to be a throwaway in a lot of ways uh, because, you know, besides the normal catching up from being out for so long, um, he was far behind to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, obviously he's, he's put on a lot of muscle um, since being drafted. So he's not really, at least, uh, you know, I guess eye test wise, he's not that kind of lanky player you saw coming out of Kansas as much, but yeah, I I mean, obviously his minutes will be limited next season. They're not just going to throw him into the games um, to, you know, play 40 minutes. Uh, But yeah, I think that, uh, you know, that's a pretty good evaluation um, 
you know, I don't know what kind of impact he's going to have. Um, just, you know, not playing for two seasons. Uh, obviously, he'll he'll be pretty rusty. And um, just getting adjusted to the speed of the game is going to be one of the, the biggest things for him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, in terms of just the development process up to this point, um, yeah, I, I think I would have to say that, you know, Brandon Ingram is a little more inexperienced uh, compared to Ben Simmons. Um, do you feel like that's going to be one of the things, uh, you know, teams look at um, at the top of the draft in terms of, you know, taking one of the two? Um, I don't think it's a huge uh, factor at that point. Um, for, you know, the teams that – for the most part, that end up in that position of the, of the draft, you know, you sort of have a little bit of time uh, to wait for someone to develop. Uh, you know, the Sixers may be a different case because of what's gone on the last couple of years. Uh, but, I, you know, Simmons has had a lot more experience, in, you know, sort of on the international stage and, uh, but I mean Ingram has Ingram has played in a lot of different places as well, and you know that the opportunity to play under Coach Krzyzewski, I'm sure has you know helped him last year, and I, like I said I don't think he's as far behind Simmons as uh, a lot of people like to make the impression. I think Simmons is a little more polished of a player mm-hmm. at this point, uh, but in terms of skill levels. Uh, I don't think it's that that big of a difference between the two, and that it would that it would be a factor in one in someone picking one over the other. And Mike, you know, we talk about the fitness program within this organization. Uh, are you worried that this may change somewhat with Hinky now being gone? I mean, we already saw Jill Okafor tweeting at Car- Carson Wentz to grab cheesesteaks after the draft. Uh, but in all seriousness. <laughs> Will there be any kind of drop off uh, in your mind with Hinky now being gone? You know, I don't think so. Uh, you know, I certainly hope not. I think that uh, you know, just the trend in the NBA in general is that people are really starting to, you know, teams are starting to recognize how important a good, you know, a, a good player development program is in every aspect. You know, as far as not just like the conditioning, but you know, fitness, diet, uh, sleep schedule you know it's just so advanced at this point and the Sixers with Hinky at the helm were kind of you know at the forefront of that the NBA um you know as far as they had the uh you know the trackers uh you know that the players wore the track uh you know literally every movement they did at practice um the sleep the sleep monitors uh the dieting that you alluded to that you know a lot of the players uh you know have have said that they got in better shape due to um you know the Sixers program and the way that they've gone about it so you know I as much as some of the Sixers fans right now might be unhappy with, you know, the fact that Hickey's gone and it's now Colangelo, uh, you know, Brian Colangelo is not, not necessarily a, a dumb guy. You know, I think he will certainly recognize, um, you know, the strides that, that Sixers have made in that area under Hinky and the value that, uh, you know, a good system like that in place can have, you know, for the team going forward, even as far as, uh, you know, attracting free agents and, uh, you know, building a reputation with players as a place that, uh, you know, really takes care of their guys. You know, the new practice facility in Camden folds into that. Uh, you know, that Hinky was obviously, you know, had a big, big hand in setting up and everything. So I think that, you know, the groundwork that he did as far as setting the team uh 
the foundation of the team up for stuff off of the court, you know, as far as the, you know, the dieting and the training and the programs, I think, uh, you know, I think that will continue with the organization as they continue to go forward. Cause there's still a lot of people in the, uh, you know, the ownership and the front office that, uh, you know, were involved in that process. And I think realize the, uh, you know, the overall import of it. And Mike, uh, you know, what do you think what Ed said in terms of, uh, you know, Embiid's development, do you, do you think that, you know, he will be impacted by the two years off from basketball. And, uh, you know, with that, do you think that, you know, I guess Brandon Ingram being somewhat behind Ben Simmons in terms of uh, development up to this point, do you think both of them might, you know, if they're, you know, if they draft Ingram at least, do you think both of them might struggle a little bit more than uh, what people are making it out to be um, next season? Yeah, I mean, I don't think Embiid coming back and drafting Ingram, uh, you know, automatically bumps that team up to, a, you know, a 30-35 win team. Uh, the two years off for Embiid, as, as you know, kind of discussed, uh, you know, it certainly has to have an impact. You saw, um, you know, how rusty Steph Curry was when he came back after, you know, missing just two games, uh, you know, in that, that Houston series uh, last week. You know, not there's no replication. You know, you hear coaches and players say this all the time. There's no way to replicate, replicate game action. You know, uh, you can practice as, as much as you want. Embiid's obviously been in the gym. He's put on, you know, a lot of muscle. He looks mean. Uh, he looks like he's in great shape and ready to go. But he hasn't played an actual game of basketball since, you know, before the tournament two years in 2014 for Kansas before he went out with that the injury. So, uh, you know, it's definitely going to take him a while to get his, his feet back underneath him. And, uh, you know, they're certainly going to limit. It's not like he's all of a sudden going to go from not playing for two seasons to going in and playing 30, 35 minutes a game. You know, they'll certainly closely monitor and watch, uh, you know, any any progress that he – any time he spends on the court. I think for him a successful season, honestly, would just be getting through it, you know, without – without another injury issue or, or a step back, if he can, you know, play 60, 65, 70 games in the season, uh, you know, decent amount of minutes and be decently productive and give the team, you know, hope to, you know, build on going forward. I would consider that a pretty, uh, pretty successful rookie season for MB considering, you know, the alternatives and how much time he's missed and the possibility that, you know, he may never actually be able to contribute going forward. But uh, and and with Ingram too, there's obviously a, a development issue. But I don't think that, as Ed said, I don't I don't think it's that big of a difference, um, you know, between him or Simmons in that in that regard. Uh, you know, both players would need time to develop and learn in the NBA. I mean, Ingram, as much as he looks like he would fit in well with the Sixers, he, uh, you know, he still has a lot of areas in his game that he would need to work on, and even just physically, you know, like adding a little bit of uh, mm-hmm. you know meat to his frame would, would be big. So you know, next year. It's not going to look as bad as this year. We all, you know, are, are hoping at least. But it's it's also <laughs> not going to be, you know, it's not going to be beautiful Warriors style basketball right away. You know, these these young players, as much potential as they have, they're going to have to take their lumps, um, you know, early early on. Once again, this is the Seventy Sixers Report. I'm your host Jeff McMenamin, alongside Michael Kasky Blomain and special guest draft expert Ed Isaacson. Ed, uh, you know, Mike and I discussed who the Sixers should kind of take in that, uh, you know, number 24, 26 pick range in the draft. Uh, a few guys we mentioned were Torian Prince of Baylor, Tyler Ulitz of Kentucky, uh, DeAndre Bembry of St. Joe's, uh, Demetrius Jackson of Notre Dame. Uh, 
you know, we think this team needs a combination of both, you know, a wing scorer or an upgrade at point guard. What are your thoughts on, you know, some of these prospects that we mentioned, and do you think there might be, you know, a better fit um, in that late first round? Uh, you know, it depends on what you're really looking for, you know, what the plan is going to be going forward at that point. Um, if the plan is to attack free agency and to fill the roster that way, then, you know, it may be a good spot to add a couple of, or at least one draft and stash guy um, from overseas. You know, we have anywhere from, you know, six to nine potential first rounders international this year. Um, And so one of those may be a, Fit, you know, depending on is it what the plans are. Uh, mm-hmm. but, you know, I think the point guard position is definitely a place <laughs> where uh, you know, the Sixers need to look. But it's going to be a tough go because it's, you know, you're looking at your first round point guards and your second round point guards. And I think once they start going in the first round, you're going to start to see a bit of a run on them. Um, you know, for example... You know, you mentioned Demetrius Jackson. I mean, to me, he's a lottery talent. Uh, you know, it doesn't mm-hmm. always fall you know fall that way. Uh, but to me, the odds of him being um, available then uh, is, you know, probably not worth counting on. But, you know, a guy like Euless, yeah, to me, he's at best a, maybe a high, you know, an early second-round talent. Um, okay. So take, taking him in the late first isn't that much of a stretch, um, you know. But here's the thing: is you know Philadelphia has to address that as a, you know the point guard position as a whole. Uh, you know if you're you're not going to you know if you're looking at 24, 26, you're likely not going to get your point guard of the future uh, at that spot. Uh, you'll you'll probably find a real solid backup, a guy like Ulis. Um, uh, or even, you know, if you want to look at a wing score, Torian Prince should be available around there. Uh, if you want to add more shooting, you can look at guys like Malik Beasley. Uh, I think uh, you mentioned Bembry. That would just, you know, having the Philly guy there would be a great story. Um, mm-hmm. You know, plus he's a talented guy. Uh, you know, if he could start, if he could show that he could shoot, that'd be great. But yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, but he's just a hard-nosed player and, you know, sort of guy would be an instant fan favorite. Uh, and that's the thing is when, when I, you know, when I'm looking at the draft from, you know, from a broad point of view, it's it's so hard to actually pinpoint particular guys in certain places once you get into the 20s because you have no, there's no control over it. Just like the teams who are drafted, you know, there's no control over who's going to be taken off or ahead of them. Sometimes guys are going to come falling down to you. Um, you know, you look at Chicago last year, you know, having Bobby Portis drop in their laps. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's a good chance that some, you know, someone like that could happen for the Sixers this year. Um, you know, maybe a Wade Baldwin at the point guard position. Uh, you know, he's probably, you know, I'd probably rank him somewhere in the 16 to 21, 22 range. Uh, you know, there's a good chance you'll see him, you know, someone like him at 24. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'd love to be able to pinpoint particular guys, but 
you know, chances are that any of it actually coming true is probably not very high. <laughs> and I mean, you've been around the draft long enough. Uh, how often do you see teams in a position like this where they kind of have these back-to-back first-round picks? Do you think that, you know, there's a chance they might package them to move up for maybe a guy like Denzel Valentine who, you know, has that scoring prowess and, you know, by all rights is one of the most polished players in the draft at this point? Uh, it's always a possibility. I think if, if there's any chance of maybe packaging these picks, it would, I think a team would likely want to do it to try and pick up a number one in next year's draft um, where the talent level is going to be um, so much higher than this group, um, mm. especially if it's a team that you may have a chance of them falling into the lottery um, next year. But, no, you, I mean, you, you know, you'll see it from time to time. It's just a matter of getting, uh, you know, the right teams and the right fit to make those, you know, to pull those trades off. Um, you know, if you just sort of look at the teams ahead, um, you know, there's not many that, you know, look like they'd probably be willing to, you know, to part with their with their first pick right now because they're all teams that could really, uh, you know, probably use someone in the range they are. Um, but if they could pull it off, yeah, Valentine, you know, moving up to get someone like Valentine, um, you know, again, he's someone that I, you know, I think if they were to move up to, say, 14, 15 to get him, um you know, that would probably be where they'd have to go to feel safe. Uh, mm-hmm. And the chances of pulling off a deal of two, you know, two picks in the 20s for a lottery pick, I don't know. You know, that's going to be a tough sell. And that, you know, if, if that's Uncle Angelo's mind, it's going to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, if he could pull it off, that, that should put a lot of confidence in the fan base that he could do a good job with Billy. <laughs> And, Mike, you know, I know it's a long shot. Uh, I talked about that 44% chance. But have you given any thought to uh, if the Lakers pick actually does come over to the Sixers this year? Uh, you know, who's at the top of your list in that four to five range if it, you know, does convey? You know, I think if if that pick does convey, uh, that would be a great opportunity for the team to, uh, you know, address the point guard spot with a potential, um, you know, a guy for the future, especially if, you know, you land in, in one or two and you get a guy um, like Simmons or Ingram who could, you know, really be a, a superstar for the franchise going forward. And then you get another, you know, top five pick right there. Um, you know, with that being said, there's obviously, you know, a couple guys that are, you know, on the top of everyone's board as far as point guards, uh, you know, Chris Dunn from Providence and Murray out of Kentucky, um, you know, are a couple guys that are projected on, uh, you know, most mocks to be right around that three, four or five spot. And, um, you know, there are a couple of guys that I think would definitely be worth a look. Like I said, especially if you already got a stud at the top of the draft, I think Sixers fans would feel a little deflated walking away with only, you know, not not to take away from his game, but like a you know a Jamal Murray or a Chris Dunn after the the struggle of a season that just passed. But uh, you know, if that Lakers pick did come over, it would be a great opportunity. Um, you know, to to address that spot which has really been vacant since um, you know, since Carter Williams was traded at the trade deadline. Um, you know, for two seasons ago, <clears throat> they they've kind of you know tried out different 
you know, options at the point guard spot. And I think if, you know, if you're, you get a chance to draft a young guy like that, could, that could grow with, uh, you know, with another guy that you get in the same draft and really kind of, you know, build something going forward. Um, you know, they already have the front court pretty well laid out as far as, at least as far as options go between Noel, Okafor, Embiid, uh, you know, Savage coming over. There's no shortage of forwards and, uh, and centers on the roster. So, uh, you know, definitely point guard. I, don't, I wouldn't necessarily be angry if, if they went with another uh, another scorer, either somebody like, you know, like Buddy Heald or, or Jalen Brown right there just to get more, uh, you know, solidify the, the wing spots even further. Um, you know, obviously they, they don't need a big guy um, in that spot. So, you know, one of those guys I think that would really address their, their wing perimeter production or the, or the point guard spot would be, uh, you know, I think the smart move if that, if that Lakers pick does convey. Yeah, I mean, clearly we're we're going to need, you know, a point guard and a shooting guard that we can constantly rely on from game to game in the starting lineup. Um, it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I guess point guard is the greater need, but it's not, you know, that crazy to think that, you know, a shooting guard is, is right behind them there. Uh, but, I mean, Ed, is there just a guard in general that you feel, uh, without a doubt, is the best guard in this draft class? Um, and is there maybe a guard down the road that you think potentially can be the best um, that's, you know, not necessarily the best right now? Uh, you know, I mean, if we're going to look at the point guard position, I think Chris Dunn is is probably the guy uh, who's most ready to come in um, with Demetrius Jackson right behind him. Uh, wow. And, and – <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I'm telling, you know, I'm telling it's Jack, you know, but again, I had to mention, oh, you know, in terms of point guards, it's not a very deep draft. Um, mm-hmm. I guess the other part of it is there's people out there who want to consider Murray a point guard. He's not a mm-hmm. point guard. Um, if he, if he's your point guard, you're in trouble. Um, <laughs> you know, if you want to get, if you want to actually get something out of Murray, you have to basically do what, what, what Coach Calipari did for the second half of last season is just run him off of screens all day so he can get a shot. Um, mm-hmm. But I've never seen, uh, you know, even for freshmen, someone considered who would you would consider a point guard who has, you know, basically a negative assist-to-turnover ratio. Um, he's just not a smart player. And, and if you're going to draft him high, you got to, you know, you may run, a, you know, want to pick and roll set or two for him, you know, uh, <laughs> let him handle, let him handle the ball, but uh, he's not going to be your point guard going forward. So we're really looking at Dunn and after him Jackson, and I'm, I mean, I'm extremely high on Demetrius Jackson, and not just because mm-hmm. uh, I'm a Notre, I'm a Notre Dame guy. <laughs> I, I <laughs> think he ha- he has all the tools um, that you want. Uh, you know, the one thing. You know, he seems to be lacking. He doesn't have the size that a lot of teams want at this point. Uh, but I don't think it matters. He play, you know, he plays bigger than he is. Um, he defend, you know, he could, he defended anyone thrown at him last year. Uh, you know, he's proven he can knock down shots, even with the dip in his percentage this year. So, mm-hmm. if, if you're, you know, if you're going to look at the point guard spot, it's one of those two. If you want to look at a shooting guard, someone to help stretch the floor, then Murray might be good there. Buddy Heald, who we mentioned. Uh, But, again, in terms of the lottery, uh, you know, this draft is just really depressing. 
Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I've uh, I've you know seen the comparison of Jalen Brown and Tony Roden, and that's something that Sixers fans don't really want to want to hear. I guess uh, I when they're talking I, about you know, it. If you want Tony Roden, just look at his look at Washington's Dejounte Murray. There, you have Trent, you have Tony Roden all over again. <laughs> yeah, I mean that definitely makes me want to avoid uh, a player like that. If you're just looking at, you know, a guy who is, you know, very good at getting into the lane and you know drawing fouls, but uh, you know doesn't really have a shot, isn't really a court general. You know that that would definitely um, you know steer me away from that direction. Um, but yeah, I mean it's interesting to look at. Uh, you know, I I was definitely not in the train of thinking that Demetrius Jackson was uh, up that high. Um, but you know, I I love to hear that you know there is some potential there because you know most draft boards that I've uh, you know paid attention to have him going you know early second round. Um, at best, you know, really late first round. So if the Sixers are able to get a talent like that, um, you know, whether it's number 24 or 26, that would be amazing. But, you know, a lot of times these guys fly up the boards uh, the sooner you get to the draft. So um, if he is, you know, the the talent you're talking about, I'm sure teams will figure that out uh, soon enough. Uh, yeah, it's, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the same thing sort of happened with cam- with campaign last year. Um, mm-hmm. you know, he started out as sort of a second round guy. And then by the time, uh, draft night came around, he was a lottery pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, he, and he was the guy, I, he was the guy I said last year with piece of best long-term, uh, point guard. So put, put my Jackson prediction in the bank. <laughs> and Mike, I, I mean, you know, you don't really have to take much, uh, from this rumor, but obviously Bill Simmons uh, said that the Lakers might have some interest in trading away that, that top three pick if they do indeed get it um, for Paul George. Uh, well, that's, you know, what they want to do, whether or not that would actually happen is extremely unlikely. But what do you think of that uh, rumor that came out? No, yeah, I think I the can... Lakers just live in like fantasy land sometimes. Uh, go ahead. Ed. <laughs> Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, finish up. <laughs> no, I was just saying. I think they're delusional sometimes. Like, I, you know, I, I just I don't think uh, at least by itself that 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 pick, uh, you know, a top three pick in this this draft would pry Paul George away from the Pacers. You know, especially after uh, the series that in the year that he just had coming off of that injury. So, uh, you know, I thought it was strange that those reports came out anyway, considering that there's, you know, a, a decent chance that that pick doesn't even uh, stay in Los Angeles and comes over to Philly. So, uh, you know, I, I just thought it was a, an interesting, probably, you know, a sort of somewhat unlikely report in general. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, if they had kept, you know, once they let go of Frank Vogel also, uh, you know, you're not, you're not going to get a new coach. <laughs> and then trade away your superstar and one of the NBA yeah. elite players um, and make them start over. So, uh, you know, I, I would put that, I'd put that rumor to bed permanently. <laughs> well, we're uh, running out of time here. Uh, just have one more question for you, Ed. Um, you know, Mike and I have kind of talked about this subject a couple times here, but, you know, speaking of the Lakers, obviously there's been the turmoil this season surrounding D'Angelo Russell. 
uh, he was a guy that pretty much all Sixers fans were on board with. Uh, you know, for the last draft, obviously the Lakers kind of swapped him uh, up under underneath the carpet there uh, when, uh, you know, they picked him uh, right ahead of the Sixers, which uh, kind of forced their hand on Jalil Okafor, not saying, you know, he's a bad prospect or anything, but, you know, it, it seems like widely known that D'Angelo Russell was the guy the fans wanted. Do you still think that there's some kind of potential for an Okafor-Russell deal, um, you know, with everything that kind of is surrounding Russell at the moment? Um, probably not. It re- I think it really depends. I mean, at least at this stage, it really depends on, uh, you know, who's going to take over that Lakers team. And, uh, you know, I don't, I, you know, I just don't see, you know, how, you know, how the, um, Lakers really benefit from that as much as a fan of Okafor as I am, um, you know, it, it all depends on, you know, how this lottery pans out. Are they going to have that pick? Uh, you know, there's so much that they need to, you know, to figure out with what, you know, with what Walton wants to do at this point with this group. Um, you know, is Julius Randle a piece you build around? Or, you know, if they end up at number one, do they take Simmons? So there's so many questions that need to be answered. Uh, I'm not sure if that's, you know, something either team would really be interested in at this point. Um, you know, I was never that high on Russell to begin with, and I, a lot of what this season showed uh, was a lot of, of the stuff that I wrote about him last year. Uh, yeah. So I wouldn't even be that excited for Philly if they were to pick him up for, him up for before. But, you know, guys, people get ideas in their head of who a player is, um, and, you know, they never sort of deviate off that. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks a lot for coming on. Uh, once again, this was the 76ers Report. I'm your host, Jeff McMenamin, alongside Michael Kafsky, Blue Mean, and our special guest, Ed Isaacson. Um, Mike and I will be back soon to talk some draft lottery results, and uh, you know we'll be sure to have all our good luck charms ready to go on May 17th. But uh, you know, thanks again, Ed, for, for joining us today. Oh, it was great Thanks for coming on, Ed. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. All right. See you guys. Back in 1982, man, it was real cool in the school If we got good grades, I straight up A's The parents would take us to a 76 game I got my game and there ain't no shame Big shots of Mo Cheeks and Moses Malone Julius Serva called Philly is home Bobby Jones, Daryl Dawkins, and Tony sinking freeze Rocky Bobo will come from South Philly But if you want to make it on time to the show There's only one role that you really have to know So get to Fishtown without all that job I suggest that you drive on I-95 Wanna get downtown but feeling the fix. Get on that road, they call 676, the most expensive, expensive piece of business. They've ever made a better, they ain't paid with what they got your game. Get on, get on, 76 to